In this episode of Guided Talks, Robert talks to Andrew Ellis, founder of Eye to Eye, one of the world's first new media agencies who designed and built some of the very first websites in the UK. He is also founder of We Are Like Minds, a thought leadership platform holding events in London, Exeter, Helsinki and New York. And hello and welcome to the Guide at Grow Your Digital Agency Initiative. It's an absolute pleasure today to have with me the uh, wonderful Drew, Drew Ellis from Like Minds, who has an amazing back history, but also has an amazing conference he currently runs. So welcome to you, Drew. Uh, Thank you. Um, Welcome. Um, Great to be on the show. So, so for those of you who don't know Drew, uh, um, start off just by telling us a little bit about, about Like Minds and what you do with Like Minds. Sure. Uh, so Like Minds was born in 2009, so we're 10 years old this year, and it really came out of a, a random tweet on Twitter. Um, Twitter was just gaining ground in the UK in that year, and uh, a guy uh, based in Exeter, I I live down in Devon, and a guy based in Exeter sent me a tweet saying, your bio looks interesting, can we meet for a coffee? Um, And so I I left the house and my wife asked me what I was doing, and I said, I'm going to go and meet somebody in Exeter. She said, you don't know anyone in Exeter. Are you going to meet another strange man on the internet? And I said, yes, pretty much. because in those days, it was a kind of weird thing to do. Now, it's perfectly natural uh, to, to ping somebody on a social network and ask to meet with them. Um, I, did it, I did it this morning, funnily enough. Um, so I went to, uh, went to meet this, this, this guy, and he wanted to do uh, what used to be called a tweet-up. Um, and I said, well, you know, tweet-ups are kind of a bit dead now um, in London. Um, it was fun in the beginning. You just put a message out on Twitter and say, I'm going to be in all bar one at six o'clock in Leicester Square. Met Tim Ferriss at one of these. uh, um, And it was great fun, but it's sort of the equivalent of going to the pub now and standing up and shouting at everybody in the room. Hi, my name's Andrew Ellis. Please come and talk to me. (laughs) It's uh, a bit weird. So I said, give it a focus, you know, find a speaker. Um, We could maybe hire a a room above a pub, uh, listen to somebody talk for 15 minutes, and um, you know, then it's it's uh, a slightly more relevant than just uh, a bunch of people getting together for a drink. So he said, "Yeah, that sounds great. I'll sort that, and let's get together next week for another coffee." Um, we met up again, and he said, "Right, I found two speakers." I said, "Okay, that's a bit more than you know one conversation in a pub, but." Um, you know, what, who are they? What, what's it going to be about? And he said, it's going to be about social media and how it's going to change the world. Um, and they're flying over from the US. And I went, whoa, wow. what, wait a minute. What do you mean they're flying over from the US? And he said, well, that's, you know, where these social networks have, have been born. These are the guys that know this stuff. So I thought we'd invite them over. I said, well, who's paying for this? And we're going to need a hotel room for both of them. And, you know, the costs are mounting up. And he said, well, we're going to sell tickets. I said, yeah, but that's a lot of, you know, 25 quid tickets to cover all of that. We need sponsorship. So we got some sponsorship together. I found three more people in London who were interested in social media at the time. 
Darren Forsyth, who just left the BBC, uh, Maz Najim, who was at Sky uh, running their social um, media. And we did a half a day seminar. And all we did was put it out on Twitter. We just said, this is happening in Exeter. If you're interested in social media, come along. And 220 people showed up. Um, and I, we were just amazed. Um, a, we made money. Um, and B, I said, I think this is a business. So we did it again really quickly in um, about three months later. We did a whole day. Um, and then we did two days. Um, and it just started from there. And ever since, we've, we've had this wonderful community of coming to listen to other entrepreneurs and business, how they built and scaled their businesses. So, um, Light Minds is different. So, I mean, I, I speak at loads of conferences, and there is a kind of a, you know, a standard way that the conferences go people arrive they drink coffee yeah. they go into the toilets they pretend they're on the phone uh, they come out they nervously network yeah. claiming to be wonderful things people turn up and try and flog you stuff endlessly you feel backed into a corner eventually you find someone you you know yeah. how is how is like minds different from the other conferences it's very much a community so there's an incredible support community outside the actual event that runs across the year. People are connected, obviously, on social um, and now connected, you know, via email or phone, having met at the events. Um, and because it's small, uh, it's intimate and people actually do get to have proper conversations with people. They learn stuff. You know, we're running 40 masterclasses this year, um, so you can choose you know, all sorts of different topics um, about um, the state your business is in and where you want to take it and how you can um, grow it and um, expand it. Um, we don't have any um, stands. You know, it's not, it's not a commercial selling arena. It's about sharing your knowledge with the other participants. It's all about helping each other get to where we all want to get to. Um, and I think that's what, what sets us apart. Okay, okay. So let's talk, we'll, we'll come back to Light Minds because we can't really leave it alone because it's, it has so much in common with what uh, you know, a, modern, a modern agency is trying to do because in some senses you have an, you have an agency model there but, and we'll talk about what agencies do. But, but can we just, just I, mean, I can't talk to you without mentioning your uh, illustrious history. I mean, you have, you have a... <laughs> your LinkedIn profile there are, there, are, there are names on that list that people would die for Pink Floyd, Hypnosis Wham <laughs> so, so, so give us yes. a quick uh, so potted history on that how did those names all appear? a little potted history um, so I'm a creative by background by degree I went to Manchester School of Art and, and did a foundation course which covered everything from sculpture to painting to graphics to photography. Um, decided to focus on graphics and did my degree in London uh, at what is now called LCC, the London College of Communication was LCP, London College of Printing. Um, but during my time there, I wrote a thesis on record sleeve design because I was trying to work what out what job I was going to try. What, yeah. what year are you talking about? Uh, late seven, late 
late seventies, early eighties. Right. Um, and my father bought me a book from this company called Hypnosis for Christmas um, because he knew I was interested in record sleeve design. And I, like all you know, youngsters, music was a really important part of my life, um, but still is. Um, and design, and I couldn't work out how to marry the two together. And somebody said, well, why don't you design record sleeves? <laughs> had this light bulb moment. I said, that, is that a thing? And they said, yeah, of course it's a thing. So I'm reading this book on hypnosis, decide to write my thesis on record sleeve design, come back to college uh, for the start of the term, and my flatmate says, you'll never guess where I've just had a holiday job. And I said, no way, he said, hypnosis. And I said, that's amazing. Can you introduce me? And I'll, I, maybe I could interview them. Um, and he said, yeah, sure. So we went down, interviewed them. Um, and Storm asked me what I did. And I said, well, I'm a graphic student at LCP. And he said, brilliant. We need an assistant. Can you start tomorrow? And I said, yes. Uh, and he said, look, you, you, know, you can skip a few uh, lectures, can't you? And I said, yeah, I'm sure. You know, it's not going to impact too much because I just thought... The opportunity of working with a company like that would be absolutely amazing. And of course it was. Um, you know, I got to meet all of these these bands that I bought the records for um, when I was at school um, and learnt an incredible amount, not just about graphics, but about photography, uh, a lot about making tea, um, a lot about running around Soho with um, um, films to get developed and stuff. Um, and the three partners um, were all very different. Um, uh, Poe, you know, was the photographer. Uh, Storm was the ideas man. Uh, Peter, who was also in a band, um, was uh, incredibly good on, on lighting and you know, an incredibly creative guy. Um, so they turned into a film company when MTV launched. Um, and I work for the film company, which is called Greenback Films. So I learned a lot, again, about editing, producing, uh, directing, tea making. Um, so I had this fantastic, again, sort of foundation in how to run uh, a film company, how to run a design agency, how to run a photographic studio. Um, and so much so that when they decided to stop designing record sleeves and focus wholly on making pop promos for people like Paul Young and Nick Kershaw and all of those sort of 80s bands mm. um, and Robert Plant as well and all the constituent elements of the old Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd. Um, I said, look, I want to go back to do record sleeve design. I'm going to set up my own company to do that. And they said, fantastic, you do that we'll recommend our clients to you and you recommend your clients to us to make the pop promos. Perfect. And so that's what we did. Um, and I ended up with a, you know, Dave Gilmore gave me studio space in Brit Row, which was their recording studio at the time and where they used to store all of their gear. Um, and I had a little studio in the, in the car park, actually, in a separate little building. And I used to see the pig being rolled in and rolled out every, you know, so often. Um, when they were going on international tours um, and started uh, designing for myself, as it were, for my own clients as well as the historical hypnosis clients. Cool. So if we, so if we just talk about agency life now, because now, you know, the, the, 
there, you know, without meaning to be patronising, there'll be some people watching who don't know what a, a record sleeve is and don't know how, how important a record sure. was. And, and uh, it, 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 in some sense, it's a cultural icon in that sense. But agencies now, in, in general, I mean, how do, you, how do you see the world that they're in now? Because there's, there's hardly a differentiation between a marketing agency a digital marketing agency that the lines are really blurred yeah we have you know pure PC agencies or pure seo agencies but everyone yeah. to some degrees uh digital you know whether they're graphics whether they're designing cd covers if people still do that um all all, all the way through to a you know a pr agency or a marketing mm. what well sorry can you just repeat that I didn't have, didn't catch Record it. sleeves are coming back. Yeah, I know. All right. If you wait long enough, these things do come back. But, so, so how do you see, how do you see agencies now? How do you, I mean, I mean, you, you obviously know a bunch of agency owners. How do you see the world that they're in? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's very different now. You know, I run my own agency, which I founded in 1994, um, Icon, which was my design agency that I founded. Um, I sold in 1989 to a UK PLC. Um, we had offices in, uh, we had 3,500 square foot office in Farringdon Road, sort of pioneering that, that Shoreditch um, yeah. vibe. Um, and an office in Studio City in LA because we were doing a lot of work with the US record companies as well. But I sold that um, and worked for the PLC for about four years. Um, the internet came along for me in about 1993 and I got a CompuServe account. Um, and I, I just saw what the internet could become. Uh, I'm a bit of a magazine junkie and I just thought this is a perfect opportunity for me to launch my own magazine I don't have to print it. I don't have to distribute it. Um, all I have to do is design it and pull the content together and put it online. Um, unfortunately, bandwidth things to do. But I think, you know, the, the world I grew up in was very um, product oriented. So I was fortunate in the sense that when I did a design, um, I think, I, think I, I tried to tot it up the other day. I think my... Creative Works now been on 350 million albums. So that's, that's an amazing sort of uh, stat to me. Um, and arguably people could say, oh, well, I've designed a website and I, you know, a million people a month come and look at it. Um, it's not quite the same, but um, I think that digital agencies uh, these days are, are, are in terms of differentiating themselves from all the other half a million digital agencies that are out there. Um, have got uh, a, a very difficult job and what I've done with I2I now is focus on a specific sector so we focus on luxury um, it's an area that's slightly still behind the curve digitally um, it's a sector that still requires a lot of mark digital marketing gone are the days when you can build it and they will come yeah. so we tend to focus on how to rather than building websites which is what we used to do um, we focus very much on how can we help drive traffic to your website for your product or service. Okay, so, um, so, so this for so me, so this going me. into a niche is a, a an ideal way to strengthen your own. 
so 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 you know this for me is, is my, my kind of bread and butter which is like segmentation and differentiation interestingly enough this feels like a bunch of old guys talking 1961 yeah. theodore levitt harvard business review marketing myopia and he talks about and it's it's as relevant today as it is ever he talks about segmentation and differentiation he talks about who who do you aim for who's your target audience luxury yeah. and a niche within a niche is better than just a niche and he talks about differentiation, which is the why should people buy yeah. from you when they can buy from the competition. So, so just can you just give us a bit about about differentiation I and mean, what's your what's your how do you respond to the why should people buy from you when they could buy from the competition? You know, what makes you different from the rest? Is it you're faster, smarter, brighter, friendlier, ruder? What's the what's the piece? Experience, experience. Um, you know, I think. I've seen a lot in my 40 years in business um, and I've tried a lot of things. I know what works and what doesn't work. Um, also, obviously, uh, contrary to that, everything is, is, is constantly evolving. So you need to stay on top of stuff. Um, sometimes, you know, the younger agencies will say, look, we're at the bleeding edge of um, what's happening now. You need to be doing AI, AR, VR, you know, whatever it is try and stay away from the bleeding edge because that stuff breaks uh i'd rather be leading edge rather than bleeding edge um so we try and stay on top of it as much as we can translate what's what's happening now into language that the client understands um so we're not focused on talking tech speak gobbledygook geek speak and all of that um and we can point to very clearly point to stats that show an improvement for, uh, for what we've done for our clients. And I think, again, that's really key. Saying you're the coolest kid on the block anymore isn't really you know, valid for a, for a client. What a client wants to know is, what can you do for me? How quickly can you do it? How much is it going to cost me? Um, and then, then, then you've got a conversation going. Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, it feels kind of like, marketing sales 101 but as i as i go around the agency world so often you go to a website and you go actually i've really really not got not only have i not got a clue what you do with your three-letter acronyms but i've not got a clue what you do for me and why i should give you money and um and i'm going to go back to theodore again actually because because he was he was ace and he said he said that yeah everyone's obsessed with everyone's obsessed with tactics ai MI, MO, PI, whatever it is, BR. And he said, it's not about tactics. And he says, yeah. and then everyone becomes obsessed about, about strategy. Everyone wants to talk about strategy. Strategy, everyone talks about being the really important thing. Uh, and he says, quite rightly, that it's not really about strategy. Because actually at the heart of it all is, is the customer and the customer needs and the customer wants what it is. And unless you put the customer at the heart of the business and how you can help the customer, brackets why should people bother to buy from you then you're absolutely yeah. at a loss and I, and I really do think that some of the the younger bleeding edge agencies are so in love with what they do that they've actually forgotten that the, the client is thinking I can put flyers on on car windscreens I can do radio ads I can do a website and all these things cost me yeah five thousand quid and I only want to use the one which will help me get more better yeah. customers into my, into my business. 
so people don't wake up and say i want vr or i want ai they wake up thinking yeah. how can i get more customers into my business or how can i get more better or different and and i just think there's been this disconnect between agencies uh and like clients want you know people don't wake up in the morning uh and, and buy what you do they buy what you do does for them and uh and you know i'll, I'll stop ranting <laughs> okay so so if we look at um for their business. no you're you're absolutely right and also you know it's not all the fault of agencies a lot of fault lies with clients as well um you know they've got young younger slightly more uh, less experienced uh, people working in the marketing department and you know I had a conversation the other day with a property um, prospect said uh, they said how can you help us and I said well I think you should really focus on social and you should focus on Instagram because your properties are beautiful that's what Instagram is is great at uh, capturing um, and they went oh no, no no we do social I said oh okay, you do social, so uh, can I have a look at your channel? And they said, yeah. And I said, popping up pictures of your product all the time. You're not talking about the area. Um, do you have your Instagram handle on your print advertising? And they looked at me and they said, oh, no. And I said, well, depending on your it's on the time of year, 80 to 120,000 pounds a month. And I said, and you don't have your social handles on there. Are you tracking the ads? Do you have a code on there? No. What, how do you do that? What's that all about? I'm thinking, you know, this, this is a property company, five million pound apartments in, in the south of France. And you're spending 120,000 pounds a month on print advertising that's going in the bin the next day. Just seems insane to me. So um, I think there's a lot of clients that need re-educating um, in that regard in, in certain sectors. And I, I also think it's our, I mean, one of the things which drives me mad about, about agencies is that they arrive because they're a PPC agency or an SEO agency. And they don't think, what is it the client, what is it, what is it that the client needs that will help the client best of mm -hmm. all? What they think is, how best can I sell them SEO or PPC or graphics or web design or AI or yes, yeah. information? And, you know, obviously if you're only, if your only tool is a hammer, you know, all problems are going to be a nail. And, and, you know, my experience is if you say to a client, you're not ready for us right now. Uh, what you need to do first is you need to sort out your, 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 your proposition. You need to sort out your positioning. When you've got that sorted out, get the website and the branding sorted out, then come and see us. But it's, it's madness to, to get clients coming to you who, who aren't ready and they've got a, a half-baked solution or they haven't done the thinking themselves. Good. So, so just, just yep. in terms of agency world, the, the agencies we look at, you know, the agencies that you, you, know, you, you, you compete with and yourself, I mean, what do you, what do you see as being the... the, the key the, the short-term day-to-day week-by-week challenges that, that agencies have got i think probably the really obvious one is talent um it is incredible i mean i'm sitting in london i spend four days in uh, in london and the rest of the week in uh, back back in devon um and talent finding talent in london is incredibly difficult uh, finding talent really i think in any major city is incredibly difficult. But one of the things that I've 
started to do is look locally. Um, uh, so I live in Ashburton, which is just off Dartmoor in a beautiful part of the country. Um, and I'm starting to find the most amazing, talentful uh, um, freelancers based there who've decided that, you know, they've had enough of London, they want to move out or they want to start a family and they don't want to bring the kids up in London or in whatever major city they're in, Manchester, Leeds, Edinburgh, or perhaps not Edinburgh so much. <laughs> Edinburgh is a beautiful city. Um, the, uh, the, the, the pool of local talent, um, you'd be really surprised who's out there. So I'd start looking outside. Um, you know, we, I'm part of a coalition uh, of about 40 to 60 freelancers uh, who all specialize in different sectors. Um, and we can dip in on the WhatsApp channel and say, hey guys, does anybody know about blockchain? And somebody will stick their hand up and go, yep, I'm an expert in blockchain. What do you want to know? Can I help you on your, on your project? Um, and I think that's the future that you may have a smaller core team at your agency than the you know, 25, 30 people I used to have in London. Um, mm -hmm. Bring it back down to you know, five, six people and have 60 coalition contributors. And that way the client gets exactly what they need. They're not being sold um, a, a spanner when they want a hammer, as you yeah. say. Um, and you, you, you're going to learn a lot more and you're going to deliver a much better project. So, yeah, so I think there is a definite move to those more cooperative networks as long as the client gets, gets value for money. Uh, and what about, what about your views about the, I mean, the big picture, which is like, you know, what will my agency look like in three years' time? Because, you know, three years ago, Google was the only gig in town. Now there's Google, Facebook, Instagram, yeah. Twitter, LinkedIn, and then you've got uh, the whole Cambridge Analytica piece, and then you've got GDPR, and then we've got, you have to mention it, Brexit, and then we've got uh, globalization, and then we've, uh, and then we've, the, the mountain of, of pressure and change coming towards agencies, it, it you know, where, where to PPC, we need to become more brand, where to brand, we need to become more digital. I mean, it's, it's, it's no wonder that people are losing sleep. What's your, what's your, I mean, what's your view on what, what agencies are going to be doing in three or four years' time? The same thing or, or, or different? No, you've got to be different. You've only got to take a look at what's happening with Ogilvy to see how the agency landscape is changing. Mm -hmm. um, you've got to learn to be more agile. You have to accept that. I think gone are the days when you have these big monolithic agencies yeah. that are all men. And no matter how much you chop it up and, and have, okay, let's keep it in the Ogilvy family because if you don't get on with this agency, uh, perhaps you'll get on with that agency, but the money still stays within the group. Um, I think it, it's very cyclical. Hello again, and uh, we lost connection, the wonders of the internet there. We did have a slightly dodgy line all the way through, and finally the, the line broke up. So we're going to, we're going to uh, continue where we got to, where uh, I was asking Andrew, who you now may notice is now indoors, uh, I, I asked Andrew uh, about you know, the long-term impact, all these things going on, different platforms, different customer needs, different client requests, uh, millennials, this whole world that's going on. And I guess my question is, you know, how do we 
how do we know what an agent is going to look like in three or four years' time? And Andrew came back saying, he said, things go in cycles. It was a bit like one of those um, a booty tutting. Things go in cycles. And then, and then the internet went... <laughs> so things go in cycles. Things go I in think, cycles. I yeah, think it's about Oasis. <laughs> yes, yes. The circle of life. No. Um, what I saw when I worked in the music industry was that obviously a lot of... Um, successful bands had their own record labels. So, you know, you had Creation, for example, which spawned a, a, a lot of um, incredible bands in the 80s. Um, and what happens is they get, they then get bought up by the larger companies. And it's the same with, with agencies. You know, Ogilvy Scouts will be out looking at all sorts of independent agencies or privately owned agencies, and they'll be buying them up, basically buying their clients in the same way that record companies were buying bands because they were buying the sales effectively. Um, and then they become very bloated and very big um, and unmanageable. So they start losing money. They start divesting themselves of staff and people and talent. Um, a new record label start coming up. A new agency start coming up. Um, and I think we're going through one of those cyclical things at the moment where uh, the larger agencies are looking at the overhead and thinking, we're not going to be able to survive this, working in this way. Um, so lots more businesses are going to spring up. Same thing happened with Nokia um, in Finland. Mm -hmm. There's a massive amount of digital talent now in and around Helsinki um, who are all, you know, ex-Nokia engineers um, starting their own businesses. We do a lot of consultancy work with um, the Finnish government helping bring Finnish companies over here, mm -hmm. um, doing business development for them and um, creating sales pipelines and things. So I can see this happening sort of firsthand, not just in the UK, but in Europe uh, and, and beyond. And, there's, and there's, an, there's another couple of things going on. And I think one, one is, uh, I mean, there's a lot of talk about millennials, but I do think people's attitudes change. I do think, I, mean, I was running a workshop recently with, and we had a 150, 200 person agency in the room and like a 15 person agency in the room. And the guy running the 15 person agency looked far more relaxed, I have to say, than the guy running the 150 person. And then when we actually got down to valuations of the business, it turns out that the 15 person agency, uh, let's just keep the numbers really simple, one and a half million turnover, 300K profit, five times multiplier, it's worth one and a half million quid for himself, he leaves the room. And the guy who spent an extra seven or eight years selling, selling his shares, selling his shares, getting investors, getting investors. Yeah, he's got 200 people. And yeah, he's doing 20 million. And yeah, they're doing 10% net profit, which is 2 million times the multiplier of, I don't know, six, seven, which makes a business worth 14 million. But he's only got 10% share of the business now, which is uh, 1.4 million quid. So, okay, yeah. he has been earning 150 or 200K all the way along and he's had a brilliant journey. But I think a lot of people are realizing that it's actually, it's actually okay, you know, and in any case, at age 40, I'm going to go off and do something else. So all I need is, is some seed corn for my next venture. It'd be nice to get the kids' education nailed and, and confirmed. Um, Whereas I think there was more of a kind of the Madison, there's a book called Madison Avenue Manslaughter. There's more of a, there used to be more of a, yeah. this trail, mm. you know, kitchen table, dining room table, industrial unit, yeah. get bought out by Accenture. And also I think we should talk about um, productization, which is becoming more and more of a thing. 
you know, again, um, sort of throughout my career, I've always had what the lovely Gary V calls a side hustle. Um, and <laughs> an example of that was me tipping up to EMI actually one day and going to a band uh, launch, album launch, which they would typically hold in their foyer. And I noticed everybody standing around drinking Peroni. Mm. And I turned to the marketing manager and I said, how much does it cost you to, to you know, do you, you get it from Costco or something? I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of beer here. He said, yeah, pretty much. That's what we do. You know, we go to the cheapest supermarket we can find. And I asked him how much it was costing him. And he told me, and I said, what if I could put the album cover on the beer bottle for you? And he said, that's a brilliant idea. Could you do that for the next album? I said, yeah, absolutely. And I went and found a brewery and, um, talked to them about their new bottling plant which was under capacity and they said we'd love to you know provide you with some beer and I said can I slap my own label on that and they said yeah absolutely fine and I just emailed the artwork up to North Yorkshire to the label manufacturer they sent the labels down to the brewery the brewery sent the beer to the record company and I wrote an invoice um, and I was making a pound a bottle um, it almost put my children through school that one you know, simple little ideas, learn to productize some of the stuff that you do. Um, you know, recently for us in the uh, luxury market, we built a new platform called Ultralux, mm. which is aimed at uh, property developers who want to sell property worth five million and above, but it's done in an advertorial style. So mm. rather than a listings thing like Rightmove or um, Zoopla or any of those, this is proper content not just about the property but about the surrounding area the best pubs clubs um, schools um, that you can go to um, and we've, we'll charge them uh, per million value of the property that's on there a month um, very simple can be run out from anywhere in the world um, and the content comes from the PR the property PR agents that are writing this content anyway um, and trying to get it into the national press so you know, start to look at the sectors that you're in and um, the, the work that you're doing and seeing how perhaps you might be able to productize it for your own benefit. And I mean, what I really love about, about you know, all the ideas you've come up with is that, I mean, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful at all, quite the reverse, that actually it's, it's simple ideas. It's not massively complicated stuff. No stuff that people haven't thought of it's no nope. joining joining the dots joining the dots don't don't reinvent the wheel just join the dots just start to think slightly laterally about stuff um you know facebook wasn't the first social network um you know that i was talking to thomas power the other yeah, day thomas the yeah. academy um which is just sort of starting up again in a slightly different guise um it's, I remember being interviewed, actually, funny enough, from CNBC back at the, the height of the dot-com rush. And I said, look, it's the pioneers that get shot and the settlers that get the land. Um, and you have to remember that. And going back to my you know, comment about being bleeding edge or being leading edge, not bleeding edge, you know, don't, don't try and be the brand new, new, new thing because it's going to be really tough for you to get that across. Um, just, you know rain it rain it back in a little bit think and i think there's, and i think there's something really disingenuous about about the entrepreneurial world okay so i, I think i think this thing about you know the you know the kitchen table dining room table garage industrial unit and along comes pwc along comes the yeah. center with a check 
happens to so few people that it distorts how we think we're doing. I mean, that's 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 the first thing. And and I think this. I think the second thing is a, a, a lot of people just think they're meant to be bigger than they really are, rather than happy. And I think there's a really big movement towards. Uh, I want to run the best agency I want to run that gives me the lifestyle I want to run as opposed to the biggest. And I, I, you know, I, when we talk about exit, there's always five or six recent exits I'm familiar with where, where there's a guy I know at the moment who uh, he got a third of his money up front. He took the summer off and when he went back in, they said, uh, why are you here? It's 9.15. He said, Sorry, why are you here at 9.15? We start at 8.30. He said, uh, no, you don't understand. I have a coffee in Starbucks and do my thinking now. I come in at 9.15.10. And they said, yeah, you work here now for us and it's nine to five uh, with an hour off for lunch. And he just thought, you know what? You can stuff your other two thirds of the money because that's, yeah. that's not what I'm here to do. Yeah. And... Uh, you have to remember that when you've sold the business, you have so it's no longer your business, even though you might still be working in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and yeah, I've got a really close friend of mine, once someone I interviewed on this, who's had an amazing experience uh, with Densi. And it's been absolutely fantastic. So there, so there are some absolute horror stories. Yes. Yeah, but, and there are some good stories as well. No, absolutely. I mean, I, one of the things for me was decision-making. Um, when you're a small owner-managed business, where you have business partners, you can have a, a corridor, what we used to call a corridor conversation, yeah. and make a decision and walk off and it would happen. Yeah. I took the idea, when I sold my design agency um, to this PLC, they were a print group, and when the internet came along in 93, 94, I said, I want to hire some developers. And they said, write a board report. And I started to lose the world to live. But I wrote the board report. I was the youngest group MD there. You know, I was 31, I think, at the time. Uh, wrote the board report. And the answer came back, uh, the internet's a fad. It'll never take off. Which is what forced me to resign six, seven months later and start I2I. Um, you know, they, people don't always see um, what, what's going to happen next, what 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 the future holds. Yeah, I'm not, I tell the story of my uncle Ivor, Ivor Raymond, who was a record producer in 1962. And, and, he, and he kicked the Beatles out of his office. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah, well, he had, he had Dusty Springfield in the Springfield, so he didn't do too badly. All right. Uh, he, and he produced the first David Bowie album. But, um, wow. you know. He really? I never knew that. But you know, he, but he would have been one of hundreds of people who who said the internet's not going to take off, or the people yeah. they'll never, it'll never, it'll never catch on. So yeah, there's always, there's always that kind of. Okay, so so just getting back to like minds, because we, we need to start sort of wrapping up. What, mm. How do you, how do you see you know get what you've done in the past? How do you how do you see the future of like minds? What's going to happen to like minds? Just poodles along, becomes global, goes online, goes offline, just does what it's doing. It's it's all it's already global in the sense that we live stream it and the um, keynote videos are recorded and put up on our platform. So we've got over a hundred talks up there now from all sorts of different business leaders. Um, people can go and view those on wearelikeminds.com. Um, and the future for us really is we'll be doing a lot more events in London um, over the next few months. We currently run a series at Twelve Hay Hill uh, Private Members Club in Mayfair, but we're going to. 
extend that out to a number of different private members clubs across the city. Um, we have run it in New York and um, a couple of times and in Helsinki. Um, so we may well continue to do international events. But what I'd like to see is I'd like to see Like Minds flagship event in Exeter grow uh, and expand. It's sort of South by Southwest in the Southwest. Um, <laughs> there's, there's no reason. I'm from the Hotel Duvin. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. So, <laughs> South by is in Austin in Texas. You know, it's not in New York or LA or Chicago or, you know, a major American city. I mean, it's a fairly big city now, but 25 years ago, um, it wasn't. Um, and how did they achieve that? They achieved that by putting on amazing content with amazing speakers and people wanted to come. Yeah. And it became, you know, um, a, a thing that everybody globally who was in the music slash film slash tech industry yeah. wanted to go to in the same way that why is the Cannes Film Festival the film festival to go to? Um, so I would like to see that happen. Um, and that's, I guess, partially down to me finding the right kind of speakers and the right kind of talent um, to put on to attract those audiences from across the world. And... and uh... Like Minds 2019, when is it? It is on October the 18th. If you go to likeminds.live, um, tickets are up there. Um, so grab them and come down and see it. And it's on a Friday. So bring the family and then you can experience the wonderful Devon countryside coastline at the same time. And one of the things about Like Minds is I've known, I know quite a few people who, who visited and there is, there is a, a Like Minds thing. There is a sort of a, a vibe. Yeah, the sorts of people that you attract, the sorts of speakers you attract, and everyone does talk about there being a family atmosphere there, which makes it is it very much a family atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, we shot a nice little video actually that's up on our YouTube yeah. channel. So uh, if people take a look at that, and you can see some of the speakers and some of the attendees talk about why they go um, and what they thought about it, um, which is you know unscripted. <laughs> I promise. So, so if with this amazing back catalogue of, of things that you've been doing, if you were if you were to do it all again, mm. is there something you had done differently? Is there something you would have done sooner? Is there something you'd have done not done? Is there what's your, what's your kind of reflections on that? I think probably learn to raise money early is what I would would have done. Um, trying to scale things out of earned income is a long old road. Um, and I think I probably could have speeded up a few ideas and a few projects a lot faster if I'd gone out and raised some money. Mm. And what about for the, for the uh, agency owner founders who are, who are watching or listening? Uh, what, what is your, your kind of, you know, if I kind of wake you up in the middle of the night and say, you know, Drew, Drew, what would you, what would you tell an agency owner if you, if you, if you had to give them sort of, you know, two or three nuggets, golden nuggets, what would they be? What would your, your kind of focus to, to, you know, again, that's sort of slightly going against what I'm saying about having another productizing your, your business. You may well get distracted whilst mm -hmm. doing that. I think if you, if you've got an agency of a certain size where you are literally managing the business and you're not, in it um, and I guess that's another little nugget of advice is get yourself to the point where you are not the business you know that your business should be the business um, you should be working on it and not in it 
don't keep interfering with all the staff that you've hired doing saying no no you know i'd do it this way you you're supposed to have been hiring people smarter than you um you don't need to do that um, what you need to do is build a team around you that are um, hungry and ambitious and enthusiastic um, and involved in what they're doing and give them the opportunity to run with what they know um, and that frees you up then if you want to start thinking about productizing um, bits of the business then you can do that and that's your baby that's where you can get your hands dirty um, you know, one of the things I learned running a design agency was that I, I stopped designing about five years ago and I hadn't quite realized that um, and so I, I allowed myself to have one client that I could continue to be creative with and let all the other clients work with the rest of the team um, so that way I, 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 I was happy uh, and everybody else was happy Brilliant, thank you so much Drew, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, minor change of scene halfway through but apart from that that's i'm slightly warmer too so yeah, i bet you are uh thank you very much uh, i really look, look forward to seeing you uh in exeter in october that'll be absolutely great and uh in the uh rollout uh all of drew's links and contacts and url stuff will be there for everyone to see so do get in contact with him thank you thank very you. much thank drew. you Robert. okay okay cheers, cheers. Bye. Bye.